by Journey Dog Training and the Pandemic Puppy Raising Support Group on Facebook. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I'm super excited to be raising my puppy, Niffler, alongside all of you. And as you know, I'm a certified dog behavior consultant, but I'm new to puppy raising too. So today we're talking to Milena DeMartini-Price, who's the author of two books about separation anxiety and also the instructor of the Mission Possible Separation Anxiety course and the founder of the Certification for Separation Anxiety Trainers. Milena's focused exclusively on separation anxiety in dogs for 20 years. Um, she lives in Northern California with her husband and her two dogs, Tini DeMartini and Mabel. So Milena and I are going to talk to, about today, um, you guessed it, separation anxiety. Um, so welcome to the podcast, Milena. Oh, goodness. Thank you so much. I'm so pleased to be here. What a great podcast you have. Thank you. Yeah, we're, we're really excited. And I think um, I'm excited to be kind of getting to talk to you about hopefully with puppies kind of getting separate, getting out ahead of a separation anxiety a little bit. And, you know, I know we can't necessarily prevent it because there's a lot of genetic components, but maybe identifying it and addressing it early on and setting our dogs up for success. So before we get into all of that, um, just a quick reminder for our listeners, this podcast is supported by our members on Patreon for as little as $3 a month. Our patrons support the podcast and get perks like submitting questions for us to tackle at the end of each episode. So consider supporting the podcast and helping us keep this going at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy. So, Melina, let's start at the, the very beginning. Can you just give me an overview of what separation anxiety is for any of our listeners who are unfamiliar? Absolutely. So we typically refer to this as separation anxiety, but I want to start out by saying that that is a little bit of a misnomer. Um, I think it's becoming more popular now to talk about it as uh, separation-related issues or separation-related behaviors. Um, <clears throat> but having said that, <clears throat> separation anxiety is really the uh, fear and or phobia of being alone as expressed by the dog. And so they are truly terrified about being home alone. And I just wanna add to that, that I know that seems quite irrational to some people, like, my goodness, I always come home. Why would my dog be afraid of being alone? But there are so many fears and phobias that seem irrational to the individual that is not experiencing it, right? Even human fears and phobias like uh, flying on an airplane or fear of snakes and spiders or public speaking. If you're not suffering from any of those fears or phobias, they seem really irrational to you, um, but it's very real to the individual that perceives that fear. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, so what are, um, well, I guess we'll get to some of the symptoms and signs later on, but what do we know about the causes of separation anxiety? Um, is there any way to kind of know what, what causes this for our dogs? Or is it more, you know, kind of like fear of flying where it's just kind of unfortunate luck of the draw as far as we can tell? Right. Well, that's a really way of putting it. Uh, fear of flying is one of those things that we can't you know, do a body scan on a person and find the spot in their body that shows, oh, there's the fear of flying uh, marker, mm -hmm. right? But having said that, um, we do know a lot more about what does not cause it. 
versus what does cause it. Now, we know that in uh, many, many research studies have replicated this. We know that the idea of spoiling a dog by letting them sleeping, uh, sleep in the bed or letting them on the furniture or giving them lots of treats or taking them on errands with you, we know that that is not correlated with separation anxiety problems. Um, what we do know about the causational side of it, it is actually a little bit obscure, um, but we are just recently in the last few years uh, finding some genetic uh, haplotypes, um, so sort of like genetic markers that are indicative of the potential to develop separation anxiety. So for many dogs, there is this predisposition. But mm -hmm. but I want to caveat that by saying, you know, some people say, oh my gosh, there's a genetic component and that scares them. But just because something is genetic or the dog is predisposed does not mean that the behavior is not modifiable. Mm -hmm. And it's really important that we remember that. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And is there any, this wouldn't necessarily relate as much to our puppies, but I, I feel like I've heard or seen some studies about dogs that have been through multiple homes being at slightly higher risk. Um, are you familiar with anything about on that end? Absolutely. So there's been a fair amount of research and it hasn't been specific to uh, moving from home to home as much as it has been showing whether there's a higher prevalence in um, shelter and rescue dogs or dogs that have be, been rehomed through some sort of process like rescue. And the jury is a little bit out. Um, many of the research studies say that dogs that have been rehomed once or multiple times have a higher propensity for having separation anxiety. The really interesting thing about that, which I don't know if we'll ever quite have the answer to this, is we don't know whether dogs that are in the shelter and rescue system ended up there because they were showing signs of separation anxiety in their home and that's why they were rehomed. We don't know if it's something that develops out of the sort of traumatic experience of being in a shelter or rescue. One of the things we do know, however, is that a dog that is showing, let's say, no signs of separation-related behaviors that gets that moves with their family to a new home, to a new environment, sometimes those dogs can suddenly start to display separation anxiety symptoms. And so big change tends to be pretty indicative of the potential for separation anxiety to occur. And so it would make some sense that dogs that are rehomed once or multiple times uh, might therefore be experiencing distress around being left alone. Yeah, yeah, that certainly makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad you made the point about, you know, this could be more correlational versus cause-initial. So, you know, the dogs that we see in shelters yes. may be there because of these separation anxiety tendencies. That's right. 
And I know I have definitely personally seen this with with my dog. Um, we travel quite a bit, as we said at the beginning of this call. I'm actually recording from an Airbnb in California, and I've noticed that he. I've, I watch him through cameras a lot of the time, and I used to travel with a Furbo. Um, the first couple times that I leave him unattended in a new place, he always seems much more unsettled, and there's a lot more kind of pacing and looking out the window versus once he's kind of been left alone in that place a couple more times, he seems much, much more comfortable. And that's not the same thing as separation anxiety, but even in a dog who doesn't exhibit these tendencies um, or doesn't, you know, have. I love that you. Yeah, like this full blown yeah, level. I love that. That's right. Because I love that you bring that up because one of the things that is hard for us to remember um, dogs don't generalize very well. Um, so if mm -hmm. your dog or anybody's dog has been in their home environment for, you know, years or months or however long it's been, and that's where they're comfortable to suddenly take them, uh, to, you know, like what you're doing with at an Airbnb or to suddenly say, we're going to go to grandma's house and I'm going to leave you there. Um, might be a challenge for some dogs and it might be a, a small challenge for those dogs that are not afflicted mm -hmm. with separation related behaviors, but for dogs that are really sensitive to change that could, could lead to some, um, you know, immediate distress about being left alone in an unfamiliar environment. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it makes a lot of sense even, yeah, through the lens of thinking about, their ability to generalize as well as, you know, just they don't understand where we are or that we're on vacation and that this person is grandma and, you know, grandma's <laughs> grandma's going to take care of you and we're going to come back because it's grandma's house. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So what are, um, you know, if you were talking to someone who's like, yeah, you know, my puppy does X, Y, Z when we leave him alone and they were trying to decide whether or not, um, this was something that you should be really worried about. What are some of the like signs or symptoms that someone um, potentially should be worried about in, in their young puppy in particular? I'm so glad that you asked this question. It's really important. And to start out with the answer, uh, I would say I want everyone to remember that separation anxiety is evolutionarily appropriate for young puppies, right? Mm -hmm. It is something that is, is in, innate uh, in, in, in part of the developmental stage of young uh, um, dogs, young puppies. Uh, and, and, you know, we see this in human beings as well. Um, we know that there are certain developmental stages where there's a propensity for for the small child or the baby to be to cry when uh, separated from their mom or their their loved ones, uh, and so and it's an evolutionarily appropriate behavior. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that we are going to just say, "Oh, well, this is an appropriate behavior from an evolutionary standpoint, and therefore I'll let you figure it out." Right? Uh, we want to do things to help that puppy to not be uh, distressed. And so the warning signs in a young puppy would be um, kind of the same 
as the lack of warning signs. And so it sounds a little confusing. Young puppies will often start to whine or cry or bark or uh, chew on things uh, or even eliminate when you are leaving them alone. Now, mm -hmm. it's really important that we remember with young puppies, we, we we're not ready to start leaving them alone for really, you know, major appreciable durations. And so if we notice that the young puppy is showing some vocalization or other signs of distress when we leave for a few minutes or however long it may be, um, it's very, very helpful to spend some time acclimating the puppy to alone time. And when I say that, I don't mean, oh, well, just leave the house for a couple hours and let them get through it. I mean mm -hmm. that you can start to incorporate very small absences, walk into the laundry room, grab the laundry basket, come back, um, you know, go out and get the mail uh, from the mailbox, take the recycling out to the bin, you know, little things like that. And mm -hmm. um, so that they get exposure in very small, tolerable increments. And that would be the place to start truly with any young puppy, but particularly with those that are starting to show some signs of, of being uncomfortable. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I love kind of building in those micro absences. And as you know, this is the pandemic puppy podcast. So this is one of the things that I've thought of that as I've been raising Niffler is actually one of the, the kind of blessings of having a pandemic puppy is that because I am working from home and most of our listeners maybe as well. Um, it's so much easier for us to build in these micro absences than maybe it would be where we all working outside of a home for 40 plus hours a week. It's so, so amazing. Like, you know, who would ever say that, you know, a year's worth of a pandemic would be a blessing in disguise. And I, I would never even say that either. Obviously it has been heart wrenching and there's been some very, very challenging experiences that people have gone through. But from a puppy or dog standpoint, pandemic times have been really pretty darn fantastic, at least insofar as being able to slowly become acclimated to alone time. Um, I, 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 and I can't express or like say it loud enough that now is the time to start working on this before we get to post-pandemic times where we're going mm -hmm. to literally have to leave to go to appointments or to work or to whatever. Uh, and I really don't want people to find out that very first day that they go run uh, to work or go to an appointment that, oh goodness, my puppy or my dog is not tolerating absence as well. I mean, preparing them now is so important. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, you know, and that leads us into our next question beautifully. Um, it's like you've done this before. What are some of the things we can do to <laughs> optimize our puppy for success? You know, aside from, I know we've already talked a little bit about some of these micro absences, but you know, what else can we be thinking about as we're trying to make sure that our, our puppies are, are set up for success? So it's very interesting that puppies 
um, we have this, as, as most people listening to this realize, we have this little window of opportunity where they're very malleable and they learn so much and they soak so much in. And so one of the things that I think can be really important for a puppy that is not, and I want to stress, is not experiencing alone time distress, but is not yet really used to being alone either. Um, I think it would be so perfect if people decided to say, I'm going to schedule a short absence once, maybe twice a day. And in doing that, I will give my puppy something super fabulous to do uh, mm -hmm. and to maybe chew on and consume. So stuffing a food toy with something really yummy that the puppy never gets. So making it nice and novel uh, and, and leaving them with that for you know, five minutes, maybe 10, depending on the puppy's ability and depending on the puppy's age. Uh, and then coming back and creating this wonderful association between great stuff happens when I walk away um, mm -hmm. is really powerful in these young puppy uh, times. And um, I want to make this one important distinction though. If the puppy is already dis distressed about being left alone, and if you do a little bit of an assessment and you say, okay, here's this wonderfully yummy stuffed food toy uh, that I'm going to leave with and now I'm going uh, that I'm going to leave you with and now I'm going to walk away for five or ten minutes if they don't touch it and they still whine and uh, um, show other signs of being uncomfortable then I would actually not encourage people to put that food toy down and then leave because what can happen uh, is that the food toy can predict something scary and mm -hmm. we don't want that happen. So there's a distinction there between puppies that are just learning to be uh, to be used to alone time that aren't experiencing challenges with it. Uh, there's a difference between those dogs and dogs, that, puppies rather, that are already experiencing some discomfort and distress. And if they won't touch that food, that is a little bit of a red flag for you to know, okay, I've not only do I have to spend a little extra time in these absence rehearsals, but I'm not going to necessarily introduce a food puzzle right before I leave so that food does not predict something yucky. Yeah, that's, that's very, that's very smart. Um, and uh, yeah, I'll, I'll link in our, um, in our show notes as well. I have a blog post that I wrote um, that I think, ties into this. And I get a lot of comments on the blog post from people who think that it's a way to solve separation anxiety. Um, and it's not. And I, I think it says that a couple times in the post. But um, and it's about kind of flipping your morning routine. And um, what I suggest is kind of setting up this really fun scavenger hunt for your dog, um, where what I used to do is I would lock Barley in the in the bathroom um, while I hid a bunch of different toys and Kongs and bully sticks around the house. And I would then release him out of the bathroom, grab my keys and leave. And he would be so excited about his scavenger hunt that he would hardly notice that I was leaving for the day. 
And I I loved it. It was a great way to kind of not have to deal with the sad puppy eyes as I was leaving. Um, and I think that that sounds similar to what you're describing here. Um, and again, it's it's not great if your dog already has separation anxiety. It's not going to fix it um, for that. But to help a dog have a, a better conditioned emotional response to being left alone if they're not already highly distressed by it. Is that kind of what we're saying? Yeah, I think find it games, scavenger games are so great for those dogs that are not distressed about being left alone. Um, I actually also have a blog called Comfort Food uh, <laughs> and how, yeah, so I mean, I don't know if you want to link to it in your show notes yeah, or if it's something you just want to read read sometime. It, it's, it, it is really about you know, are we really comforting our dogs that are experiencing distress? It's fantastic for dogs that are like, I don't really love it when you leave, but I'm cool with it. It can actually turn that I don't really love it when you leave into I kind of adore it when you leave. It could be great for them. But for dogs that are really afraid and, and phobic and distressed about alone time, it can actually, you know, incorporating food in the very beginning of the process can actually backfire. And that's what that blog is about. So um, I, I, I'm so glad that you have yours. I can't wait to read yours as well, because there's so many things that people can do right to help optimize our puppies for alone time success. Um, but we want to mm -hmm. make sure we're really, we're really reading that body language very well and determining whether we're seeing a little bit of like, oh, the sad puppy dog eyes, as you mentioned, like a little bit of like, oh, I really wish you wouldn't go. But if you're going to go, oh, well, I guess I can do it. The difference between that and a, an actual distressed puppy um, it, it is really important for us to get very good at discerning. Mm -hmm. Do you have any tips for that? I know like cameras can be really helpful, but are there any kind of body language things that we can look at for telling the difference between, you know, a little bummed to be alone versus like panicking about being alone? What what can people look for? Especially, you know, I know when I brought Niffler home, he really had quite the set of lungs on him. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> what I noticed and what I kind of used to discriminate was that he actually screamed and carried on the most if I was on my um, on my couch about 10 feet away from his puppy pen. And then if I left to go on a run with Barley and then I checked the Furbo, he went to sleep. So it wasn't about me being gone. It was about me not being able to reach him. So that was something I noticed with Niffler. But I mean, if I recorded him when I was sitting on the couch and sent it to someone, I think they would think that I was torturing him. So, you know, particularly with these puppies who do, you know, evolutionarily, they really, they, they're going to cry when they're left alone. It makes sense. They're, they're, you know, distressed. How do we, how do we tell the difference? <laughs> Can we? <laughs> Such a good question. And, you know, sometimes it is a little fuzzy. So I'm not going to say that it is a very black and white uh, issue um, to discern. But I love that you brought up the, the use of cameras, because sometimes I forget, you know, it's that curse of knowledge, like, I forget that people might not even think about, oh, I could actually watch my dog when I walk away or when I leave. So cameras and even using 
free apps like Zoom or iCam or, you know, platforms like Skype or FaceTime or whatever, you don't necessarily have to go out and buy a camera. But if you want to, they're so cheap now. They're like $35 in the U.S. And, um, mm -hmm. and so watching... It's so interesting because obviously we want to get good at watching to see what the puppy is doing if we leave. And there is, as you just pointed out, there's a difference between standing 5, 10, 15 feet away from the puppy's area, the puppy pen or confinement area, um, versus being fully out of sight versus being out of the house and gone completely. And you're going to want to kind of look at the puppy in all three of those situations. But the thing that I think is most important that most people forget is to watch your puppy during a time when you know he or she is totally comfortable. So you're sitting on the couch, your puppy is chewing on a toy, just hanging out. What is that baseline body language? What is what does your puppy look like when you know they're super comfortable? Mm -hmm. And then when you let's say leave for a minute or two and you watch them on the camera, how big of a difference is the body language between being super comfortable and when you're gone? Is there a big difference? Is there a little bit of a difference? Is there subtle difference. And I want to point out the fact that human beings are very predisposed to get uh, concerned when there is vocalization. I mean, hearing a baby cry, hearing a dog bark, etc. Um, that for us is like a big trigger for many people. And, um, but it's not just vocalization that we're waiting for or looking for, you know, is, is the dog, uh, or puppy super hypervigilant and, you know, uh, pacing and panting and whining and things like that. So looking at that baseline behavior and comparing it to what the dog looks like when home alone, I think is a really nice way to be able to help you discern, is this distress? Is this, gosh, I wish you would hang out with me at home, but if you're not going to, I'm just a little more, I'm just a little rather less, uh, you know, curled up and cozy, um, or is it actual distress about alone time? And there are so many body language indicators that we could talk about that topic literally all day, but I, I mm -hmm. want people to remember that. Yeah. We, I mean, that's a subject in and of itself, but, um, I want people to remember that the indicators are specific to each individual dog. So, your dog is very different than my dog, which is very different than Sally's dog, which is very different than Dan's dog, right? Um, because all dogs display their anxiety or fears in different ways. And so one dog may do a lot of yawning and licking their lips and sniffing around by the door or by the confinement area. And another dog may be whining and another dog may be scratching at the uh, door. You know, there's, there's all sorts of different mm -hmm. ways that we can determine what, you know, whether there is distress or not. And it's really about understanding your individual puppy's body language 
and comparing that to a time when we know their body language is in a comfortable state. Yeah, I, I love the idea of, you know, kind of looking at the difference or change from a baseline that seems that seems really helpful. And I think, you know, that ties into a couple other things that I've thought of as far as, you know, making sure that when you are leaving your puppy, um, making sure that they're kind of behaviorally set up for success when they're being alone. So, and I know we've talked about this both in our, we did an episode with Sarah Strumming on, um, you know, <laughs> happy crating. And we did an episode with Sarah Dixon, um, lots of Sarah's on this podcast, um, about schedule making for puppies. And both of them really emphasized making sure that your puppy is, you know, they've pottied and they've played and they're actually kind of ready to bed down for a nap before you leave them alone. Um, and I think both of them also talk about, you know, making sure that you're not just putting your puppy in the crate and then leaving so that the crate becomes a predictor for being left alone. Um, do you have anything to kind of add as far as, you know, making sure that they're kind of emotionally and physically set up to be left alone and maybe as well, like what some, some puppy pen setups may be or, um, or lack thereof potentially to help make sure that our puppies are um, ready to be left alone. Yeah, <clears throat> I'm glad you brought this up because it's very easy to say, oh, okay, I, I got to go. And if you're not going to uh, have the time to set the puppy up for success, then, you know, when you leave, um, get a babysitter, truly. And maybe that sounds callous, but um, yes, the puppy should have pottied, should have had sufficient exercise, should have had, um, you know, shouldn't be, if you feed your puppy every day at 8 a.m., I would not plan on leaving at 7.30 and being gone at 8.30 or, or until 8.30 or 9 because your puppy is going to start to experience some hunger and that can cause them to be uncomfortable. So either feed them a little early that day or, you know, wait to leave until after their meal time. Um, and then again, make sure that they have eliminated um, and so that they're not have feeling the need to go potty. And so far as mm -hmm. setups for puppies, um, it's, you know, again, it is rather individualistic. And I'm, and I'm so glad you mentioned, let's not just stick the puppy in the crate and leave uh, and have cr the crate time be predictive of alone time. Um, I think if you're using a crate with your puppy, uh, and crates are wonderful tools for many, many puppies and dogs, um, and if you're using one, then there should be a lot of wonderful exposure and time in the crate uh, for small increments that do not lead to alone time. Um, you know, watching, uh, you know, watching your your news half an hour in the afternoon or evening um, while the puppy is hanging out in their crate or confinement area chewing on something yummy is a great way to say, yeah, we, this is part of our hanging out routine. So getting them used to the fact that this is, this is a great place to be chilled out and not just a place that I get stuck as a, you know, I get warehoused in it when I have to be home alone. Um, now, as far as confinement areas, uh, I know we, I think we were going to talk about this a little later and we can revisit it, but, you know, crates, um, for some puppies can be really challenging. And, mm -hmm. um, yes, 
Yes, if you condition your dog or your puppy to a crate and you do it carefully and with intention of making it a positive space, um, it, it should very likely be a wonderful place for the puppy. Having said that though, puppies that are experiencing separation anxiety, sometimes and surprisingly more often than we would expect, have uh, have confinement anxiety and the, the two can be very comorbid. So mm-hmm. um, for instance, and I get this a lot and you may be surprised to hear this, but I get a lot of people that will call me and say, well, I know my dog loves the crate because when we go to bed at night, he walks right in, curls up and goes to sleep and sleeps there until the morning. And he seems to just put himself to bed. And that may be very true. And he may go in there on various other occasions as well. But that doesn't mean that it is not potentially uh, exacerbating alone time. And so I really Mm -hmm. recommend that people look at their dog in their crate when alone and then also take a look at their dog outside of the crate when alone and again these can be five minute increments we're not saying let's leave the dog for three hours and see what happens (laughs) um but (laughs) i would actually as a matter of fact i would not suggest doing that but um but i mean absolutely seeing the difference between how the puppy does while in the crate when left alone versus in a larger confinement area that has various you know toys and chew items and is safe for the puppy um comparing those two is a very valid assessment idea uh and you may say he looks exactly the same in the crate as he does in the more open area Uh, And that's great, but you may find, and for some individuals, it it can make a difference. You may find that being closed in the crate, particularly during alone time, is causing further uh, exacerbation of the problem. And so just opening up the space a little bit can actually help some puppies. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Well, and you know, I think of the crate um, and you can you can tell me whether or not you think this is a helpful analogy. Um, a little bit as you know, my bedroom when I was in middle school, you know, just because I like <laughs> spending a lot of time alone in my bedroom, um, you know, playing Oregon Trail or whatever it was in middle school, doesn't mean that when I was grounded and locked in there, <laughs> um, I enjoyed that, you know, like there's a difference between kind of choosing to go into your bedroom because that's what suits your, your mood at the moment and being told that you can't leave until dinner time uh, or being told that you can, you have to stay in there when you think that something better is happening outside. I have a very strong memory of sit, being in my bedroom. Uh, I called my sister a nasty name when I was in probably middle school or late elementary school and watching my sister play on, on our swing set, which I can see from our window and just being so angry, even though I probably spent just as many hours in the bed, in the bedroom alone, most other days, but I wasn't in there by my choice. So it didn't, so it felt really different. Uh, Very different. And I think another example of that too, and many people can relate to this personally, but even if you have never experienced anxiety or panic yourself, I can bet you that you know at least one person that has kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so imagine having an anxious experience, a a panic attack, 
Um, and then being told that we were going to put you in the closet while you were experiencing it, like it, it wouldn't make it better. It would probably exacerbate it because you would be so limited by the space. And so it's not even just the space that, that or the, the limited space that is a problem. Like you say, we, you know, your bedroom in middle school, you spent a lot of time there and probably even enjoyed your time reading or resting or whatever. But, but the, when you don't have the option and particularly if you don't have the option and you're upset, anxious, panicking, uh, it can, it can exacerbate things. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, and in this podcast, we've talked a lot about kind of puppy pens and puppy palaces and these sorts of setups. And, you know, I recognize that the vast majority of puppies should probably not be left fully loose in the house. You know, they're just, they're not potty trained. They don't know what to chew on yet. Um, But that is where like exercise pens or maybe baby gating them into a laundry room or even a puppy proofed kitchen. Um, We have options. It's not kind of like, either the crate (laughs) that is just big enough for them to stand up and turn around in or fully loose. Like we have intermediate options. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the one thing I would mention, if possible, um, if you're going to set up, let's say an X-Pend area or something like that, a lot of times, and again, this is very individual for the dog, but a lot of times we choose a room or an area that um, we think is going to be the most, uh, the easiest rather, you know, to clean up if there's an accident and all that kind of stuff, which I, I absolutely agree with and understand. But I wanna make sure that the area that we choose is not sort of like relegating the dog off to this sterile, terrible environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, if they are if they're super comfortable because you spend a lot of time in the kitchen or in the living room or whatever that might be a great place and of course you'll puppy proof while using x pens and baby gates and all those things um but let's not say oh well they're you know i'm gonna put them out in the garage in the um because it's you know easy to clean up that's not always ideal because it's not an area that the the puppy is going to spend time other than alone time. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a ton of sense. I know my, my puppy palace area um, is kind of in a corner next to my couch. Um, and I've moved it a couple times yeah, to kind of make perfect. sure that he's, yeah, yeah. And I've moved it around a couple times to make sure that he's comfortable, you know, being further from my desk or further from the couch. Um, I live in a 300 square foot, like one room cabin. So there's only so many uh, configurations I can do. Um, but <laughs> I'm like kind of making sure that he's he's comfortable with the idea of like me having my back to him for a couple hours while I'm on a Zoom recording and like these little approximations for him. And I've, I've found that really, really helpful. I love it. I love it. And I think what you just said right there is what we all have to keep in mind with puppies. And this is not just surrounding separation anxiety and alone time. Those small approximations are important for all types of successes that we're looking for behaviorally. Um, we, We just, particularly with puppies, we can't say, well, I want them 
in this instance, you know, let's say to be left alone uh, comfortably for, you know, an hour or two hours. We can't start with an hour or two hours. We have to start with small increments. And those small mm -hmm. approximations, as you mentioned, are just crucial for all types of training. Yeah, definitely. All right. So I think we're going to take a quick break to hear from a couple sponsors, and then we're going to come back and talk about crate training myths and medications and cry it out. And we have a Patreon question. So we've got all sorts of good stuff once we come back from the break. This podcast is supported by the Puppy Raising Blueprint course, which you can find at journeydogtraining.com slash blueprint. In this course, which is partnered between Journey Dog Training and Canine of Mine, I guide you through everything from common problem behaviors like biting and potty training to the humane hierarchy of dog training. It's always available on a self-study basis at journeydogtraining.com slash blueprint. As a new puppy owner, I know how often we're cleaning up. While there's no replacement for management, supervision, and training, Clean Carl's has my back for the times that I slip up and Niffler has an accident. Clean Carl's pet mess products get rid of stains and odors from dog poop and cat pee and everything in between without any added scents so your house won't smell like poop or cleaning products. Plus, they're safe to use about, around both pets and kids. Next time your furry friend has an accident, try Clean Carl's pet mess zapper and remover. Use the code JOURNEY10 and get 10% off your first order. Just head over to cleancarls.com and use code JOURNEY10 at checkout. All right, Melina, I know this is going to be a big question, so we'll we'll see um, where it takes us and um, feel free to be as brief or in-depth as you, you would like. What are some myths um, and some of maybe the biggest or most harmful myths, in your opinion, when it comes to addressing separation anxiety? Okay, you're right. Here's a topic that I could talk about for hours, but <laughs> I won't. I'm going to just try to address the key myths. Um, and my biggest and most important myth that I want to dispense with right now, and if it's the only myth that we talk about today, um, you know, it's the most important in my opinion. Uh, and so that myth is that you caused your dog's separation anxiety or that it is your fault in some way. And I think it is so, 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 like enough so, so, so's here, but I think it's so important that people are absolved of the guilt of creating their dog's separation anxiety. So much owner blaming happens surrounding a lot of different training issues, but particularly separation anxiety where people say, oh, you, you know, you talk to your dog like he's a baby. You let him sleep in your bed. You give him too many treats. You coddle him uh, and snuggle with him too much. Uh, you know, all of these things. And while we don't know exactly what causes separation anxiety, from a research perspective, we do know that, you know, the things like I just mentioned, like, you know, talking to your dog like a baby is not something that is creating or causing separation anxiety. As a matter of fact, I like to remind people that, you know, if, if, if spoiling, quote unquote, by letting dogs on the furniture or letting dogs in the bed or letting dogs eat a lot of treats or, you know, all these things, if that 
caused separation anxiety, there would be a lot more separation anxiety than it actually exists. And Mm -hmm. right now, there is already a lot, yes, uh, but it would be through the roof. So we've got about 50% of the pet dog population that is experiencing some sort of separation-related behavior issues. Uh, In the U.S. alone, that's 38 million dogs that would be experiencing some sort of separation anxiety. That's a lot. That's a big number. Yeah. So what I want people to understand is that while we don't know exactly what uh, causes, whether it's genetics, whether it's environment, whether there's some sort of predisposition, whether it's a combination of all of those and some sort of culmination or perfect storm, Um, We don't know exactly the cause, but we do know that it is not um, caused by spoiling a dog. And so everyone listening to this podcast, please, if your dog is is suffering from some sort of home alone time anxiety and someone tells you, oh, well, you just have to stop spoiling your dog, you can confidently say, oh, I appreciate you trying to give me some good information, but... I know you're wrong. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I think it's so important. It's so important. Yeah. Yeah, certainly. Um, yeah. And then my other really important, I guess, two, particularly since we're talking about puppies here, um, a lot of people will tell others, you know, for with very well-meaning advice, right? they will say puppies will grow out of separation anxiety. And we already talked a little bit about how this is an evolutionarily appropriate uh, stage and be in behavior, right? And so for those puppies that are just like, meh, I cry when I need this, I cry when I need that. I And you know, that typically does dissipate as the puppy grows up a little bit. Um, But if it is actually distress about being left alone, it is not something that will just go away on its own with with age. And I want people to remember that when their puppy is showing signs of distress, it is our job to give them a metaphorical soft place to land, right? So instead of saying, and I know we're going to talk about this in a minute, but Instead of saying, um, I'm going to, you know, leave you for an hour and, and you just got to buck it up and get over it, um, we can give them these small increments and not just hope and wait for them to grow out of it. Um, and then the last one, even though there's a million, um, the, well, there's a couple more and then I'll, and then I'll, and then I'll be quiet. Um, first <laughs> one. Uh, is that you need to tell your dog that uh, they're doing something wrong if they were peeing, pooping, chewing inappropriately, or barking when alone. Uh, And boy, is that the biggest myth possible. As a matter of fact, coming home and saying, you know, Fluffy, you were a bad dog, even in just that type of a tone can actually start to create further distress. So Mm -hmm. using any sort of punishment techniques with alone time is 100% 
off the table. Never use them. Uh, and I feel that that way about really any behaviors, but mm-hmm. with separation anxiety and distress when left alone, um, it is absolutely off the table. And I know you, you know, you come home and you see there's a puddle of pee in the confinement area, or there's some poop, or the dog has chewed something up that we didn't, you know, that we didn't want them to. And it, and it is frustrating, but the dog is not doing that behavior out of spite. The dog is not giving you a hard time. He is having a hard time. Mm-hmm. So I think that's important. And then the last and maybe the most important or at least equally as important as absolving any guilt that people have around causing their dogs separation anxiety, it, it is surprisingly common for people to say, oh, gosh, your dog has separation anxiety. Gosh, what a bummer. That's not fixable. Uh, That's Mm. not a treatable behavior. And I am here to tell you that I unequivocally disagree with that. Separation anxiety is a fixable issue. It sometimes takes time. It takes patience. It takes compassion and empathy. And it sometimes takes, you know, a fair amount of support. Um, But it is not like, uh uh-oh, the dog is broken and nothing can ever be um, resolved. Yeah, I'm so glad you said that. And I think that's a good kind of myth to end on here. Because yeah, as, as you know, and as we know, separation anxiety is really quite treatable. And, you know, (laughs) while it can require a lot of support, I know, you know, in comparison to some of the aggression cases that I work with, um, we can actually control a lot of our factors. And it actually is in some ways easier to work with than some other behavior issues. It does take a lot of diligence, but at least how and when you leave your dog alone um, is under more control versus trying to figure out how to, you know, find an appropriate playmate teacher for a dog who's working through, you know, dog-dog social issues or something like that. So in some ways it is actually um, easier, although it does really affect people's lives. So I I think, you know, we want to, we want to give you hope without minimizing how emotionally challenging this can be for owners. Absolutely. So um, we've got two more kind of separation anxiety related things for you. um, And then I will actually let you go so that I can answer our Patreon question unless you want to stick around for it. Um, And so the, the second to last question is about cry it out for puppies. I think it's really common for people to suggest um, or to have heard, um, and okay, when your puppy's crying in the crate, make sure you ignore them so that you don't reward them for crying. Um, and they'll just kind of learn to deal with it or whatever. Um, I'm not really sure what the what the next step is. So, you know, what what alternatives do we can we can we go with instead? Because it seems to me like this cry it out method um, has potential to actually build into more separation anxiety related things because the dog is just getting more and more distressed. Um, when being left alone. Absolutely. Uh, And unfortunately, it is still a very common recommendation is to let the puppy cry it out. And uh, it is hard to think about sort of never, ever, ever, ever letting a puppy have, you know, a moment of, you know, wine, wine. Uh, Obviously, like we mentioned, I mean, evolutionarily, Mm -hmm. it's appropriate for them to cry sometimes. Um, but crying it out for any appreciable duration 
has the potential for two outcomes. One is that the puppy will learn that that uh, my needs don't get attended to, and therefore um, they will. There's some sort of psychological and physiological harm that can come as a result. Um, and what's interesting is that they may ultimately learn, oh, well, no one's going to attend to me, therefore I'm not going to cry anymore. But that doesn't mean that they're not still experiencing some level of distress, which can be quite harmful. Um, the other thing that can happen is what you uh, alluded to here is that oh my gosh, I cried a little bit. And uh, then it st I started getting myself more and more worked up and feeling more and more distress and nothing, you know, changed. And therefore that distress, anxiety, fear, panic, et cetera, starts to grow and turns into pretty, you know, full-blown types of alone time fear, uh, as opposed to just being a little bit of a, you know, I, I kind of just don't really like this. Uh, it turns into I am actually panicking. Uh, and so we, we can see these dogs actually develop tremendous um, distress if we just let them cry it out repeatedly and rehearse that behavior. Um, so two things about that. Number one, people, and you even just mentioned that, that this is a common advice. People say, oh, you don't want to reward your puppy for crying. So mm -hmm. we have to remember that we, we can reward behaviors, but we can't reward emotion and fear is an emotion. Um, and there's all, and you know, we can go into, that's another subject we could talk about all day, but if a puppy is experiencing distress, we're not coming back and, and the puppy's going to go, oh, wow, if I cry a couple times, she comes back. Um, it, but not if it's about, you know, concerning distressed behavior. Um, what we're doing is taking the puppy uh, and allowing that puppy to be alone in very small increments so that when we do come back, regardless of whether they're you know, doing a little whining or what have you, um, they are learning that alone time is not scary. And if they can, if they can learn that when mom or dad walks away for one second, 20 seconds, three minutes, whatever it is, um, doesn't lead to anything scary, then the vocalization, the crying, the whining, the et cetera, will start to go away because you've addressed the underlying concern, the, the, the worry that was there. Um, and so I really encourage people to remember that their puppy may be crying and not experiencing much distress or their puppy may be crying and starting to experience distress. And it kind of doesn't matter because if you say, well, I'm not sure but I don't think my puppy is experiencing that much distress. But if you take that puppy and you still give them acclimation to alone time in small increments, at the end of a week or two or three or four, when you, you know, after you've been doing that little training for a while, you will be far better off and the puppy will be absolutely fine. Or if it turns out that the puppy was predisposed to separation anxiety, 
then you are ahead of the game because you've already started to work on it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think, you know, like many things that we talk about, it's more about, you know, if your puppy is distressed, feel free to go in and help them out. You know, we letting them cry it out doesn't help anything. Um, so go feel free to swoop in and rescue them. And then the big thing is to then go back to the drawing board and figure out a training plan that doesn't elicit the crying. You know, how can we build up their comfort level with being left alone so that they're not panicking when we leave them alone, which, you know, is a is a big recurring theme in a lot of things we talk about in this podcast and in dog training in general. Indeed, it really is. And I love the way you say that, you know, and, you know, go ahead, sweep back in and, you know, make sure that you uh, have alleviated um, their concern. And that's not just for a long time. That's for so many different behaviors, particularly for puppies. One of the wonderful things that we have in research, both in for dogs and for human beings, um, is that we know, interesting, this is so cool. We know that, particularly for children, but now we're doing the similar research with dogs, that the more... Um, support, love, reassurance, um, kindness, compassion, and uh, um, sort of gentle direction that children have, the, the more stable they are as young adults and adults. Uh, the, the less that they are given that support, love, compassion, empathy, etc., in situations that are um, scary, um, concerning, anxiety-provoking, um, the less stable they are as young adults and, and, and adults. Mm -hmm. And we're, we're seeing that same result in the, in the dog research as well. Yeah, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So we're, we're starting to butt up against, uh, you know, we try to keep this podcast at about an hour. So can we talk a little bit, and I know you're not a veterinarian, but, you know, what when medication might be something, you know, when when you might start to look at a case, particularly with a younger dog and say, you know, maybe it's time to talk to the vet about medication. Um, and uh, yeah, if you've got any thoughts on, on that for separation anxiety. I do. The first thing I would mention is that, you know, your vet is a great resource. And even if, you are not ready or your vet is not ready or you're you're not sure whether medication will be warranted keep your vet apprised of your dog's your puppy's behavior so that if you should say well my puppy has been a little distressed with whenever i leave let the vet know that now so that the two of you can discuss the trajectory, if, if, if at, you know, 10 weeks old, the puppy is mm -hmm. showing some signs of distress and the vet already knows it, then at, you know, a couple of months or more, if the puppy is still showing these signs and not starting to realize improvement around those situations, particularly alone time, it's a really good time to have the conversation with the vet. And, you know, medication is an interesting um, field of discussion. And one of the things that I would like people to know that 
is interesting. Uh, I work with a lot of vets and veterinary behaviorists and many of them tell me, you know, separation anxiety is a behavioral emergency. And mm -hmm. with poppy you know, these medications are not exclusively for dogs that are, you know, over, you know, a year or whatever. Um, and oftentimes, mm -hmm. if we can adjust the dog's ability to be left alone in a small way, just gain purchase on the problem with some short uh, term medications, um, we can not only make a lot more progress more quickly, but we can sort of alleviate the the long term concern of separation anxiety that's going to go on for many months and years. Uh, and so I, I don't want people to look at medication as being off the table, uh, just because the dog is young. Um, but mm -hmm. obviously, it has to be a very, very personal choice. Uh, and it has to be something that your vet is in support of. And obviously, the reason to choose medication is to alleviate the dog's suffering. We're not just doing this because we're you know, lazy, and we don't want to train it, like we want the dog to not have to experience distress, or to at least experience a lower level of distress while we work on the training. So um, it's a big, big topic. There's so much research and information about it. Uh, but, but I would start talking to the vet right away when the pup's young, if you're if there's a concern that alone time distress may be there. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that's probably a good note to end on. Um, do you have anything that we didn't talk about or that I didn't ask you about that we want to make sure to mention before we get out of here? You know, I think we talked about a lot of great ideas and topics uh, surrounding separation anxiety. Um, I think as a closing note, the last thing maybe to remind people, which we've already said in our discussion, is that there is tremendous hope. Separation anxiety is something that can be resolved. And um, while, you know, you said we don't want to minimize the commitment and the emotional uh, bandwidth that it requires and everything, um, it isn't, it isn't the, you know, end of the world, we can absolutely help these puppies and dogs that are experiencing this alone time distress. And so I encourage people to reach out to a professional, to talk to their vet, uh, to take an online course. We have a separation anxiety online course for guardians that's going to be in the notes. Um, there's so many resources out there now. Uh, and the longer you wait, the harder it is. So prepare mm -hmm. for post-pandemic times now. Yeah, yeah, that's... That is a great note to end on. So, Milena, I will let you go unless you want to stick around for our Patreon question, which is about food drive. Um, so where um, where can people find you online? And we'll make sure all the links are in the show notes. Oh, great. Yeah. Feel free uh, to reach out to me. Uh, my website is MilenaDemartini.com. And um, there's a lot of free blogs and resources there that people can just peruse our Mission Possible online course for dog owners is there. 
Uh, and there is a, a questionnaire there that if you are a dog guardian that has a dog that you're or a puppy that you're concerned about from a separation anxiety standpoint, you can fill out a questionnaire and we will uh, offer to have a free um, brief call with you about what directions you can go and, and what's going on with your puppy or your dog. Yeah, great. That's an amazing resource. We'll make sure to have all those links in the show notes. Um, so again, thank you so much, Milena. Um, we'll let you go and um, listeners stick around and we'll, um, we've got a food drive question um, from Patreon. Sounds great. Thank you so much. All right. So we have one Patreon question this week and it reads, at one point you mentioned that Niffler's food drive wasn't where you wanted it. I'm trying to figure out my Border Collie's food drive as well. He's nine weeks old for reference. How old was Niffler when he exhibited food drive issues? What did this look like? How did you address it? And are you happy with where he is now? So these are a lot of really, really great, great questions. So um, so Niffler has had some periods of time where he doesn't eat quite the way that I wanted. He wasn't finishing meals. Um, he was just kind of raising a little bit. Um, he wasn't working super well for food in training. And that's something that's really important to me. I really like having a dog who's a chow hound, easy to motivate with food. It just makes my life as a trainer a lot easier. So a couple of the big things that I did with Niffler. Number one is I actually changed his food. So I, um, as Niffler um, has been growing, I've been buying various small, high quality bags of puppy kibble. So um, a lot of the different kind of boutique expensive brands out there um, and kind of just experimenting to see what he seems to really like, what he seems to do well on. Um, and one of the big things I noticed is that period of time where his food drive was at its worst, um, he was on a particular bag of food. And as soon as I started transitioning him over to the next bag of food, um, his food drive got a lot better. So I think he just didn't love the food that he was on. Um, and that's obviously going to vary from puppy to puppy. But one kind of easy thing to try is just, you know, changing up what he's eating for his daily meals. Um, that's obviously a little bit different if your puppy is also kind of showing a little bit of reluctance with treats or, um, you know, meat or cheese or anything, any of those high value treats that we might have as well. So if your puppy's struggling with those things more, or if switching up the food isn't quite helping, um, there are a couple other things that I did. So one is that Niffler, um, pretty much got all of his food through training for a while. Um, he now gets most of his food in puzzle toys. We do do quite a bit of training, but honestly, with how much he's eating and growing right now, I can't do all of his food through training. I just don't have enough time and he doesn't have enough brain cells to train that much. Um, so uh, we did quite a bit of food through training and that was, we did quite a bit of kind of like hand feeding where he was chasing my hand around to get the food. I would get, have like 10 pieces of kibble in my hand. He would eat two or three and I would pull my hand away a little bit to make him follow my hand to keep eating. Um, if your puppy has tendencies towards resource guarding, I would not attempt those things. So if you start seeing that this is really frustrating your puppy or they're getting stiff or growly or frustrated in any way, I would immediately stop that recommendation. But we did a lot of kind of playing with food and making it exciting. I also would do things where I called Barley over and I fed him a little bit and then fed Niffler a little bit and then fed Barley a little bit again. And that kind of like excitement, jealousy, um, for lack of a better word. Um, I know there's some debate about whether or not dogs can feel jealousy, but kind of using that teasing excitement um, really helped increase Niffler's motivation to eat food because if he didn't eat it, Barley was going to get it. Again, that is a little risky and 
not possible if you don't have more than one dog and it's not possible if you have dogs who don't um, eat well near each other. <laughs> so, you know, proceed with caution with some of those things. But those are some of the things that I tried. Um, again, the biggest thing was doing kind of those following food games, um, tossing treats to have him chase them so that he got the fun of chasing the treats down and gobbling them up. Those are all things that are going to be safe for the majority of puppies to try. Um, and I am really happy with where his food drive is at right now. I can get him to work for food and eat in pretty much every scenario. Um, he even eats out of his snuffle mat really well at Barley's agility class, which is probably the toughest environment that Niffler goes to right now. Um, so, so far it really seems to be working. Um, he is also a pretty adventurous eater at this point. I think Barley helps there um, because Barley will scarf down things like squash and carrots and apples and all these things. And Niffler just kind of sees him eating them and decides to try them as well. Um, but so hopefully those are some helpful ideas, some uh, things for you to try. Uh, let us know back on Patreon how it goes for you. And for those of you guys who are listening and aren't on Patreon yet, make sure you sign up to support the podcast and submit your own questions to get your own in-depth responses like this. So um, thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I hope that you enjoyed talking to and listening to Milena as much as I did. Make sure that you subscribe, review, consider supporting the podcast and getting more info um, on our Patreon at patreon.com slash pandemic puppy. Make sure that you guys consider um, <laughs> signing up for that puppy raising blueprint course over at journeydogtraining.com slash blueprint and join that free pandemic puppy raising support group over on Facebook. I'm Kayla Fratt of Journey Dog Training. Um, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk soon.